This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. Uh, I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you today? I'm doing great. Just want to uh, let our listeners know, joining us in studio this morning is the ultimate Leafs fan, Mike Wilson. Good morning, Mike. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you. Uh, you are the ultimate Leafs fan, and later on in the program, we're going to be talking about a fantastic new book you've got out. Uh, I had I had a, a, an absolute great time flipping through it. It's called Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs Fan. And we're going to talk to you, Mike, about uh, about your book, and we're going to talk to you about the most impressive collection of Toronto Maple Leaf memorabilia in the world. Fantastic. So uh, certainly looking forward to that. And uh, also want to mention, coming on uh, shortly, uh, we're going to talk about another uh, topic that's uh, that the Naz and Wally Sports Hour is passionate about, and we certainly didn't and get. My, and Mike is a Bills fan, too. <laughs> and Mike Wilson, thanks for joining us. You're a Bills fan and yes. Notre Dame fan. Yes. Uh, I had to throw that one in, Naz. Notre that... Dame, where are they playing these <laughs> okay, days? Okay, thanks. All right, that's, that's enough. <laughs> now, just, uh, we, we, we'll talk about Alabama. And Naz, as I, as I usually do at this point, I want to introduce our next guest, and we'll get, to, uh, get come back to you, Naz. Uh, our guest coming on shortly, we'll have him on the air talking about the Buffalo Bills and football. John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills and the host of the John Murphy Show on WGR Radio 550 in Buffalo. Uh, He's been on our show before and uh, we're going to catch up with him about what happened. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm going to classify this as a dreadful Buffalo Bills season. Do you agree, Ness? I would say that's true. Dreadful isn't probably a strong enough word for it. Um, they're in a mess. They're in a big mess. I'd like to know what John thinks of this mess for sure. It's uh, it's incredible. Uh, they're in a worse mess now than the Toronto Maple Leafs were a couple of years ago before Babcock came in. That's pretty really, bad. That's it's pretty bad. As a new, as a Buffalo Bills fan, and I know you're the ultimate Leafs fan. I don't know if we can give you the moniker the ultimate Buffalo Bills fan, but you are a Buffalo Bills fan. I want to get a fan's perspective. Naz and I are. You know, we, uh, we, we're, we're, we're fans of the Buffalo Bills, but uh, you sit at home and watch them all year long, and you've been watching them for a long time, Mike. Uh, how'd this season make you feel? Well, I mean, I, th- I think the whole thing about it is, is like, the, like as Naz mentioned, the Toronto Maple Leafs, it starts at the top. And I think what the Buffalo Bills have to do is they have to come and take a page out of the Toronto Maple Leaf book. And I think they have to take a long, hard look at themselves and put the right people in place and let them do their jobs and stop the meddling get everybody to find in their position and move from there. And I think that's 
one of the key things that they have to get established very quickly. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a, a lot of Buffalo Bills testosterone in the studio right now. And uh, quite frankly, yeah, we are disappointed. It, wasn't, uh, it was a season that we would have expected better from. Um, it's been a long time since the Bills have had some success. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Naz, you, you know the stats better than I do. But our, out of all the teams in the NFL, they are the team that's been out of the playoffs for the longest time now. Is that correct? Total of, I think it's a total of 19 years they've been out of the playoffs. Yeah. Anyways, without further ado, we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills football. And we're going to do a little recap of, of the season, perhaps talk a little bit about the uh, playoffs that are coming up. We are pleased to join, have join us. Uh, from Buffalo, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. John Murphy, of course, also the host of the John Murphy Show. Good morning, John. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm good. It's 17 years of playoffs. 17, 17 years. 17 years. Please. Thanks, John. <laughs> John, uh, you, you've been with us on the show before. You know that uh, uh, we're, we're passionate Buffalo Bills fans. And uh, we have another Buffalo Bills fan joining us in studio this morning, Mike Wilson. Uh, uh, John, this was, uh, to put it mildly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, this is not the season we would have liked. Uh, and quite frankly, from a fan's perspective, we can almost call it dreadful. Are, are we right or are we wrong? Well, it's not. I, I think you're half right. Okay. It's not the season anyone liked, uh, not the season that people anticipated, but... Uh, seven and nine, dreadful. I don't know. There are, you know, worse off teams in the Buffalo Bills. They, they were competitive for the most of the year, all of the year, really. They, um, you know, they, they failed to make the playoffs, and there's that 17-year drought now that kind of colors everybody's perception. But they've been hovering around the 500 mark for three straight seasons, which isn't good enough. Clearly, not uh, good enough to make the playoffs, and they have to make the playoffs sooner rather than later. But I, I would not call it dreadful. I, I would call it disappointing and underachieving, to be sure. There, John, there's two vacancies. It looks like one of them looks like it's going to happen. The other did happen with Rex Ryan being fired. The quarterback, uh, Taylor, it looks like he's not going to be with us. Uh, what, are, what are the options at quarterback for the Bills in the future, John? I don't know, and I don't think it's a done deal yet with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I think um, the indications are that they probably are moving on from him, but that's not settled yet, and the general manager, Doug Whaley, has uh, said uh, just as recently as six days ago that the next head coach will have some say in that in what they do at quarterback, as he should. So uh, they haven't made up their mind yet on, on the quarterback position. Uh, if they don't go with uh, Tyrod Taylor, where do they go? I'm not sure. I know the Bills, uh, you know, Whaley and his department, they, they don't just want to be good enough to get in the playoffs. They want to they be great. And there is a feeling among some that uh, they, you know, Tyrod Taylor is not that guy, that he doesn't make two players around him better, that he doesn't, um, you know, make a lot of throws that they'd like to have to be a completely functioning offense or kind of a one-handed offense, really great running the ball and not that great at all uh, throwing the ball, you know, statistically anyway. And so what would they do? I don't know. They have uh, Hardell Jones just finished up his rookie year, got about a quarter of action in the season finale last week against the Jets. Um, he's got a lot of raw material to work with, got, uh, you know, a big strong arm and great stature, but has a long way to go in terms of being a, a polished uh, finished product. So he's He's one option they might have. There are going to be some free agents out there and maybe some names in free agency that we don't know yet. I don't know that there's a franchise-caliber quarterback available in the draft, so you wouldn't think that that's an option. So they have some decisions to make, and uh, they want to get the head coach on board first before they move on to make those decisions. Uh, John, what went wrong with Rex Ryan? 
Yeah, I mean, number one thing is defense. You know, that was his specialty. That was his forte. Uh, And uh, they just underperformed defensively for two years, not just in this past year or a couple of games. Uh, Consistently, you know, a 19th-ranked defense over the last two years, I would argue that if they were a top-10 defense in the last two years, they would probably be in the playoffs uh, each of the last two years with uh, the offensive production they've had, especially this last year. So that's number one, the defense underachieved. Number two, I think, you know, there were a lot of loose ends with Rex Ryan, you know, a lot of uh, not a real strong detail guy and stuff would, uh, you know, fall through the cracks, most notably in the in the uh, loss that knocked him out of playoff contention against the Dolphins and a critical overtime play. They only had 10 players on the field, and Dolphins ran off a 57-yard run, and they were in position to kick the game-winning field goal shortly after that. And that's the kind of thing that happened all too often, I think, under Rex Ryan. You know, he had 27 assistant coaches and, a lot of different voices and a lot of uh, confusion uh, from time to time, and they just couldn't pull it together defensively and, and really way too many loose ends to, uh, to kind of effectively uh, operate effectively in the NFL. We're talking to John Murphy. John Murphy, of course, the voice of the Buffalo Bills and the host of the John Murphy Show on WGR Radio in Buffalo. John, um, of course, it's uh, time to find a, a new, coaching, uh, new coaching staff and a head coach and... Uh, I guess the process of interviews has started. Uh, who are the who do you assess as the leading candidates, and uh, and what uh, what type of attributes do you think might uh, might work in Buffalo next time around? Yeah, um, well, they've interviewed three so far. Uh, one of them uh, being Sean McDermott, who's been defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers and had a lot of success with Carolina's defense over the last couple of years, especially. In 2015, McDermott uh, is highly regarded, interviewed well, I'm told. This was uh, about the middle of last week. They interviewed uh, their own Anthony Lynn, who's been around the Bills for a couple of years, running backs coach, and then promoted to offensive coordinator three weeks into this past season. And then, of course, the interim head coach in the Jets game, the finale after Rex got fired. And then uh, yesterday they talked with uh, Harold Goodwin, who's been offensive coordinator with the um, Arizona Cardinals for a couple of years. They may have one or two more interviews planned, at least one, I think, maybe as soon as today. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to – I don't. they haven't really identified what type they're looking for in terms of, you know, what the profile would be for their next coach, and that's probably good. You know, they don't want to box themselves in. It appears they're looking to go young, younger than they have been. You know, I think all uh, three of the candidates interviewed uh, so far are uh, fairly young, you know, under 40, 45 years of age. It appears, I mean, I, you know, they've interviewed guys from the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball, so I don't think they're interested in one or the other. And I guess most notably, they're interested in a guy who would be, um, you know, a detail-oriented person and kind of oversee the whole operation and, and not just a, a guru on one side of the ball like on defense like Rex was. So, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. They, You know, their reports are out there about a dysfunctional franchise, I don't see it. I know it's a popular narrative now and a popular storyline, but you know the lines of authority, at least in terms of hiring and firing, have been pretty well established. That the coach has reported to the owner, the GM has reported to the owner. Whether or not that structure remains in place um, moving forward remains to be seen. Uh, the GM said, Whaley said the other day that you know there might be changes in that, but I don't think the Bills are unlike a whole lot of other franchises in the NFL and how their management structure is set up. I think they're fairly similar, as a matter of fact. So. We'll see. I think they're, they're kind of open to – I think they want to get younger at head coach. I think they want to get somebody who uh, oversees the whole operation, not just one side of the ball. And other than that, I don't know if they have any real strong criteria for what they're looking for. There's two quarterbacks that are second-string quarterbacks currently, Tony Romo and Garofalo out of New England. 
would the Bills be interested in either one of those quarterbacks? Well, they might. I think they'd be uh, worried about Tony Romo with his age and his injury history and his, uh, you know, his fragile nature. I don't know if you could count on Tony Romo being ready to line up and play uh, for a long time. Uh, Garoppolo's interesting. I know they like Garoppolo coming out of college a couple of years ago. You know, I, um, I mean, that would have to be a trade situation. I don't know if the Patriots would be interested in, uh, in trading Garoppolo, especially within the division, but we'll see. Um, yeah, those are, those are, I mean, there's certainly guys that the Bills have looked at, I'm sure, and considered, but I don't know if either one is high on their list. Uh, we're talking to uh, John Murphy. John, just going back to a point you you, you just made about, uh, and I know the Buffalo Bills, uh, the franchise has come under a lot of criticism um, in, in the last week or so. Um, you know, Jim Trotter at ESPN, and I know the, the people at the Buffalo, uh, the Buffalo newspapers are sometimes over the top of, of their criticism um, of the Buffalo Bills. Um, and, and you responded to that, uh, suggesting a lot, of, a lot of it is unwarranted. Um, what's the relationship between, like between the fans in, in, in Western New York right now and the Bills? Uh, is, there, is there a high level of frustration? Uh, do they, do they uh, support what the, the, the harsh criticisms that are being leveled at the Bills by the media? <laughs> Uh, what's your sense of where the fans and the, and the franchise are right now in their relationship? Well, they're very frustrated, you know, and that's totally understandable. And again, it's a function of 17 years not being in the playoffs. The fans have, you know, have been extremely frustrated over the last several years. And uh, I get it, and they should be. I mean, it's it's ridiculous to go 17 years and not be in the playoffs. Um, this, these fans have been extremely loyal over the last several years with the uh, Record-setting season ticket hole, uh, season ticket sales two years ago, and another strong season this past year in terms of attendance. And uh, you know, you, you can't you can't fault the fans for uh, being skeptical because they have invested so much uh, money and so much uh, effort into supporting this team. It'd be ridiculous to suggest that uh, they're not involved. And I, I think that'll I think they'll come back next year. To what extent we'll see. Uh, I know the, the frustration as a as a way of kind of wearing you down after 17 years out of the playoffs. But, um, you know, the, the one thing I know is that the Bills organization doesn't take the fans for granted. They, they, they feel the frustration, you know, and there are, you know, a hundred or more uh, Bills staffers who are equally as frustrated, if not more frustrated with the uh, playoff failure, the failure to make the playoffs. But um, I'm pretty confident that the fans will be okay when they line up and play again, because they're just great fans. They love the game. They love pro football and, they are intimately involved with this uh, with this franchise. They really love this franchise. Uh, John, I, w- I want to uh, talk about um, uh, two people who who've come under trim- a great deal of criticism, uh, and some of it. And I want you to comment on it and give a different perspective if you can. The Pagulas. The Pagulas are are noted uh, 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 franchise owners in the Buffalo area, the Sabers and the Bills, and to a certain extent, you can almost use the term. They rescued franchises for Buffalo, but they've taken a lot of criticism. How much of it is fair, and how much of it, how much of it is unfair? And uh, what what uh, give us give us your impressions of them, and and uh, how uh, what they've done for football in Buffalo uh, and hockey in the Buffalo area? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start off by saying I work for them. Yep, and uh, I I consider them great owners, great employers. Um, I think a lot of the criticism is unfair. They have, in fact, saved pro football in Buffalo. There is no doubt in my mind that if the Bulls had not come along, then the Bills would be playing in Los Angeles probably right now. 
Um, and there's no doubt in my mind about that. They saved pro football for Buffalo, and um, although that doesn't give them a lifetime pass, it certainly should color any evaluation of their ownership uh, and their stewardship of the franchise. They saved the hockey team, too, and made it a viable, uh, functioning hockey uh, uh, team when uh, things were a little bit dicey with them. Not that the Sabres were in danger of moving, but they certainly were not on sound footing financially. And look, they're, they're uh, new pro sports owners. So they haven't made every decision correctly, but for the most part, I think they're guided by their, their instincts to do the right thing, to hire the right people and, and find the right way. They are extremely interested in, in the fan experience, uh, uh, and they can you know you can only control wins and losses to a certain extent, but I think they've gone above and beyond uh, what they needed to do to improve the fan experience at, at New Era Field and Orchard Park and, and even at the Sabres games. You know, they're, they're trying constantly trying to find new ways to engage fans, to involve fans through social media, to, uh, to make the, uh, the experience at the stadium or at the arena pleasant, and uh, open to new uh, ideas on how to do that. I think that's important. And they're trying to find their way, you know, to, to get wins, to, to get winning franchises in both of them. It's, it's not easy. You know, I, I, I will speak to pro football. I consider it one of the most competitive endeavors in, in North American sports, you know, pro football, the NFL. Teams are out to kill each other 12 months a year. Um, in terms of on-field uh, uh, wins and losses uh, uh, during the off-season in the draft, and right now we're in the the coach acquisition phase. You know, teams are looking for coaches, and teams are, you know, are cutthroat in their uh, desire to to win and make the other guy lose in almost every endeavor, free agency, uh, you know, the draft, um, uh, the coaching hires right now. So, you know, they're finding their way. I, I don't, I know it's not a. I really bristle when I hear them described as bumbling or. Or uh, meddling, they're not. You know, they, they don't they don't meddle. They want to find the right people and put them in the right place and, and let them win. And I think they they've done that in, in off field matters in both franchises, and and they're trying to find the same formula on the field. John, the one thing that uh, did go well this year was the running attack with the Bills. They were ranked number one on the run. And uh, your opinion on on Clay, the tight end? He really came out against the Miami Dolphins, but he's been not very impressive in the two years. What are your comments on keeping the running game going and Charles Clay? Yeah, well, he's a big part of the running game, and he deserves the, the share of credit for you know how well they've been able to run the ball for a couple of years. Number one rushing attack now two straight years because he does get involved in the running game. He is, I think, a complete tight end. Um, but um, he has been unable until the last three or four games this year to really make a big impact in the passing game. Some of it is him. I think he could do better, you know, and run after the catch. But a lot of it's on the quarterback, you know, Tyrod Taylor, who sort of uh, spent a long time trying to get comfortable with pulling the trigger and firing the ball into tight windows down the middle of the field. I think there were signs in his last start, especially against the Dolphins, that he had overcome that or at least was making progress with that. And that benefited Charles Clay, you know, who was over the middle a lot and could be a great relief valve for uh, Tyrod Taylor in the passing game. So, um, you know, there's still work to be done there. It remains to be seen who will be throwing the ball to Charles Clay next year. But I do think, uh, you know, any, his salary sticks out to people. Be, and it's a salary that if you're going to have him, you got to pay him because the Bills had to uh, pry him away from a transition <laughs> transition tag free agency situation in Miami. So they had to overpay him. Anytime you sign a free agent like that, you're going to have to overpay him. And that's why I think there's a sense that he's underperformed. He could be a lot more involved in the passing game there's no question about that, but I do think he, he is one of the reasons why they've been 
such a strong running offense the last couple of years. Uh, John, we won't keep you much longer, but we do want to uh, we do want to get your uh, insights into the uh, NFL playoffs. It's uh, it all started yesterday, and uh, I don't know if you remember uh, we had a conversation on our show earlier on uh, uh, late summer when the season was starting, and unfortunately, Naz's prediction did not come true. Naz had predicted a Seattle Seahawks Buffalo Bills Super Bowl, so we didn't get that. Yeah. We didn't yeah. get that, but the hope does spring eternal. Uh, Seattle still looks good, but Seattle still looks good. Give us, uh, give us a quick, uh, quick analysis of what, where do you see the playoffs going and what we might yeah. expect uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I, in fact, I think I may have. Predict, I know back at that time, August, <laughs> early September, I was thinking it might be the Steelers and uh, the Arizona Arizona Cardinals, and I woefully uh, went wrong on the NFC. But I have a pretty good feeling about the Steelers. Uh, Moving forward, I think they'll handle Miami easily today, and then win one more game, and then wind up in Foxborough. And I think they are one team, one team with their offensive firepower that can probably uh, match points with the uh, New England Patriots. So I'm keeping an eye on the Steelers the next couple of weeks, including today. In the NFC, Seattle was awfully good yesterday. Obviously, the Giants Green Bay game tonight uh, is is a huge game, um, and I, I think that will, uh, you know, I think it'll be. Uh, the winner of that game, I think, will might have a leg up moving forward as far as uh, what's going on in the playoffs. So I look forward to it. You know, I, I for whatever reason, maybe it's the youth of the Cowboys. I don't anticipate the Cowboys will be uh, in the uh, Super Bowl game in Houston, but they could be. I think it comes down to uh, maybe the Packers and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Those would be right now, if I can reset my uh, Super Bowl picks, those would be my two teams. Pretty good picks. Pretty good picks. We've been talking to John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills and the host of the John Murphy Show on WGR Radio and 550. John, uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we love talking Buffalo Bills football. I know uh, Naz and I and uh, our, our, our guest this morning, Mike Wilson, are, uh, are huge Buffalo Bills fans. I just want to let you know that Naz and I had a big bet this week over who was going to win, whether the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to win the Stanley Cup before the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and but I won't tell you uh, which which bet I placed, and I won't tell you which bet uh, Naz placed. We'll we'll uh, we'll keep that for uh, another day. And what would be what would be incredible if the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Bills won their respective championships in the next year. We're certainly looking forward to it. Uh, we still love the Buffalo Bills. Uh, hope springs eternal. We'll look forward to the next season, and hopefully uh, hopefully we'll have better success next year. Yeah, I hope some of us are around to collect on that. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's a bet in and of itself, John. Anyways, right. yep. you, you know how much we appreciate you coming on the show, taking time for us on a Sunday morning, and uh, keep well. We'll uh, talk. Thanks, we'll folks. chat soon. Thank you very much. It's our pleasure. That, of course, was John Murphy, the the host of the Buffalo Bills, and. Um, uh, give us a different perspective on uh, on the owners and a different perspective uh, on what happened this year. Uh, I guess my uh, my use of the word dreadful may have been uh, a little bit a little bit over the top. It's certainly disappointing. Uh, last last parting shots, Nez. Uh, yeah, the, the Bills. Uh, I don't know. They're still to me in a bit of a mess here. They they got to really do something important. And the quarterback was Taylor's gone though. You can tell by the interview that Taylor's gone. It sounds like he's gone because. Twenty-six million dollars to pay a quarterback is a lot of money in Buffalo. 
and they're going to need that money. Unless you got the right guy. <laughs> yeah, unless you got the right guy. But they unless need to spread the right that guy. money around too, right? Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, it's time for our commercial break. Uh, when we come back after the break, um, I want to uh, tell our listeners we have in studio with us Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson is the ultimate Leafs fan. And before we go to break, Mike, uh, um, the ultimate Leafs fan, I know you have a website. Uh, I know you have a book. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you were, I mean, I, I could tell the listeners, but I want to hear it out of your words. And you are, uh, you are the ultimate Leafs fan, but uh, you have an incredible collection of Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia. It's considered the greatest collection of Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia in the world. Uh, you've been in the news lately. You've been featured in the New York Times. You've been featured in uh, on a Vice article. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're featured in a lot of different places. Uh, qu- very quickly, and we'll come back and we'll really talk about it. But before we go to break, a little bit about your collection, uh, where it came from, where the idea came from, and uh, what uh, what people can see if they buy your book or they go to your website. Well, I mean, the first things first, I, I like to clarify is that I have not ever labeled myself the ultimate Leafs fan. Well, I'm labeling you the ultimate Leafs fan because I know you're <laughs> humble. I know you're humble, and I know you would not uh, put that moniker on yourself, but I'll put it, I'll, I'll put it out there. You are the ultimate well, Leafs fan. Well, that's very nice of you. Okay. Thank you. But uh, I, I attained that label from ESPN Magazine that did a story on me a number of years ago, and I just like to think of myself as a preserver of history, and it speaks to the passion and just the want for more knowledge of Leaf fans when you see the, you know, you're talking about the attention that we've been getting recently with the New York Times and Vice Media. And I was even, our basement was even ranked number two in Pro Bible, uh, you know, a number of months ago. But what it does for me is it just opens this door to, to research more history of the Toronto Maple Leafs and just the passion that the fans have and just searching for additional information that just un- uncovers unknown facts and treasures that, that, you know, lead us to where we are today. And I think there's been a real disconnect between the fans, the new generation of Leaf fans from the older guys like us that were around when the Leafs were winning Stanley Cups. And I think it's imperative that today's fan is aware of what, when that jersey that they're cheering for, what it actually represents. And I think we've tried to capture that with the collection over the years. And I like to think of the fact that my first obsession was with the game of hockey, first and foremost. That, that should be clearly established. The Toronto Maple Leafs followed in suit with that because they were the team of choice for me when I was growing up in the 60s. And I think that obsession just carried me to just want to learn more and acquire more artifacts as time went on. And I found myself now in my later years trying to find what it all means. And that's, I think, when you come and visit one day, when you guys are guests, you will see that when you walk down to 14 steps, which ironically is Dave Keon's number and he was my favorite (laughs) player, you will, anybody who hits that bottom floor, and it's been, we've had everybody there from Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, Fellas Bezito, Brian Burke, and so on, and all these guys all visiting, immediately hit the floor and they start telling stories and recounting history themselves. So that's, and as you can tell, once it gets started on you, this, I it's get, a I pretty get, tough I get, to stop. I, get, I can sense the passion and I'm really looking forward to it, but we, yeah. have, we do have to fulfill our, uh, our uh, marketing and legal mandates, <laughs> so we've got to go to break, and we'll be right back after the break with Mike Wilson.
the ultimate It was a rainy spell. day in Pizzaville when they got up in my grill. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. You get two Ponzerotti with two toppings per, plus ten chicken wings, I say for sure. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. That's nineteen ninety nine. A deal, for real. A steal. Ponzo Combo. Ponzo Combo. Yo, visit pizzaville.ca or pound 3636 from your cell phone, Wood. If you live and breathe basketball, Saturday's just got a whole lot better. Brand new to Yes TV, the Canadian Basketball League is a new home of great basketball action in Canada. Playing every Saturday on Yes TV. Good players, great basketball international rules watch the full coverage live every saturday at 8 p.m on yes tv steel's paint in woodbridge an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best superior staff superior advice superior selection superior everything when you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And if you're listening in downtown Toronto and the reception isn't the best, we're also fortunate to be on 96.7 FM. Uh, so you can tune us in there as well. Uh, pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We just chatted with them very briefly prior to the break. Mike Wilson, I will call you this, although you do not call yourself this, the ultimate Leafs fan. Mike, uh, you have an incredible, uh, and first of all, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Great, thanks for having me, guys. It's certainly our pleasure, and uh, you have a remarkable uh, collection of Toronto Maple Leaf memorabilia. In fact, I can even go further than that. It's, it's, it's centered around Toronto Maple Leaf memorabilia, but you have some other impressive items in there. You have a Team Canada collection. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a Wayne Gretzky collection. Yes. And you have Notre a Notre Dame collection. That's one bad thing, <laughs> but that's okay. Can we keep the Alabama guy out of this for just now? <laughs> and he is wearing an Alabama sweatshirt. And he's wearing an here. Alabama sweatshirt because he's ready for the big game tonight. Anyways, getting Tomorrow night. Tomorrow, uh, night. tomorrow night. Sorry, yeah. you're absolutely right. But uh, getting back to your collection, Mike, uh, it's in... in and I do, I do want to mention to the listeners, uh, you came out with a book. Uh, it's Mike Wilson with Lance Hornsby and Paul Patsko. Patsko, yes. Yep. Uh, it was published just recently. It's called Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs Fan. It's the Centennial Collector's Edition. I've gone through it. Uh, if you are a fan of Toronto Maple Leaf history, 
If you are a fan of Toronto Maple Leaf memorabilia, I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, uh, I, I bought it this week in anticipation of this interview. I've gone through it. It's nice and glossy. The illustrations are fantastic. Uh, it's certainly going to uh, have a, a prominent role in, in my sports library. Uh, congratulations. Um, it's got everything in here. And take us through, perhaps you can explain to the listeners all the fascinating illustrations and all the fascinating stories they can find in, in your book and in your collection. Well, I mean, first and foremost, the, the thing that I try to establish as, as part of the collection that every piece of my collection has to have a story. And if it doesn't have a story, there's no point in owning the object. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm very passionate about and I'm very strict when I'm purchasing something or I'm trying to acquire something for the collection because every piece has its own place in the collection as pertaining to the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs from the beginning of time back in 1917 when the NHL formed them and in 1927 when the Toronto Maple Leafs came along. So what I try to do is we then try, when I do acquire something, I try to research as much as I can about that piece and add to the story. Because I like to think that every piece, and it doesn't matter, I mean, we've got a Tim Hortons coffee cup here and there's a plug for Tim Hortons <laughs> sitting here. I mean, that right away, I mean, you see the object, something similar to that, it, it can take you back to a moment in time when you had your first Tim Hortons coffee or something along those lines. The same thing pertains to the collection. So what I like to think of is the tentacles that are attached to every piece. And, what, and every piece carries an additional story to it. And, you know, I tell a story just recently with my father who was over visiting and he pointed at a picture on the wall of Sid Smith. And he went on to, and, you know, my, we come from a hockey family. And here's my dad, who's 87 years old, and finally tells me this story. And, I, and he said, well, Michael, you know, your mother and I, when we went to buy her engagement wing and wedding ring, Sid Smith sold it to us <laughs> at People's Credit Jewelers. He was working there. And so after I, you know, picked myself up off the floor off that story, he then went on to say how he went in the store and bought the ring. Well, my mother has since passed away. But after that, the two rings have been given to my niece and to my daughter. And I've passed that story on to both of them. Now, my daughter has a young daughter, and that's going to be passed to her. So the, the, you know, the tentacle of the story will continue on, and the legacy of that story will continue on. It's a very simple story. So if you take that and you look at any piece in that collection, you can add the same thing to it. Let, let's, talk about, let's talk about some of the pieces in the collection, because mm -hmm. I think our listeners will find uh, some of this stuff fascinating. Um, and, and, and if they want to check it out, there's obviously the book. And the website. The, there's the website. It's ultimateleafsfan.com. And you also have a Facebook page? It's the same thing, yes. Same thing. Okay. And I highly recommend our listeners, if you're, if you're a student, uh, student or you have a passion for the Toronto Maple Leafs or for hockey memorabilia, uh, as I do, I still have my hockey card collection mm -hmm. downstairs and uh, I love looking at this stuff. But what I found fascinating about the book, Mike, was the illustrations. I've got to be honest with you. Some of the material that you were able to dig up is just, just fat and it's just just remarkable material. There's obviously the easiest part is the pictures. You got some old player contracts. I think you got Tim Horton's rookie contract, the yes. original contract. Yeah. Um, there's there's you you put the pictures in the context of the historical context. So you, you're dealing with the Maple Leafs from the you know 60s, and you've got chum charts in it. 
focusing, and you've got advertisements, and I found some of the more unique parts of this part. Like you have an advertisement with Foster Ewart where he's promoting Chevrolets. You've got an advertisement from, these are all pictures, and they're, they're, yeah. they're fantastic pictures of 1935. The Toronto Maple, 1935 Toronto the Maple car. Leafs, car. they're pitching Pontiacs. Yes. Um, there's Parkhurst hockey cards, and in, you know, I don't know if you went through the same thing I did when I was a kid. I mean, used to collect, and I got my parkies. They call them parkies downstairs. The calendars, those remarkable uh, Maple Leaf calendars that we used to see when we used to go into bar. Remember, classic calendars. They'd come out every year. We used to go. I remember seeing it in my in my barber shop. I I used to get my hair cut when I was a little kid. My dad would bring me to get my hair, and the barber would change the calendar every year. You've got some of those. that's a story people recount a lot about the calendars <laughs> the getting calendars, the brush cuts because back. they were they had they were color well, and they had those incredible colors. You got some Toronto Marley material, and of course, the first passion for hockey we developed was probably more with the Toronto Marleys than with the Maple Leafs, and we used to watch the Leafs on TV. But in in terms of physical attendance, what got us to Maple Leaf Gardens before everything else was either St. Mike's on the Sunday afternoon doubleheaders yep. or the Toronto Marlies. And, and you find all of this stuff in your book. Well, the thing you have to take away from it, Walter, and as is this, is that you, you don't have to be a Toronto Maple Leaf fan to appreciate the history and the historical significance of the pieces. What I like to think of is it's time, place, and history. So you've just mentioned the chump charts. So take a look at one of the chump charts. Look at the songs that were in the top ten at the moment or at that time. And it takes you back to when you were that age. You think about where you were at the time. You were in high school. You were in grade five, grade four. You were getting married, whoever, whatever it was. And then the historical significance of the piece in that time just resonates with you. And it doesn't matter what type of fan you are or what, what your team is. You can place yourself in all those moments. And that's what I think that we've tried to establish with this and what we tried to establish not only with the book but with the website. And we do when I do host events at my place, we have talks called Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs Fan. And we will host – we've had anybody from Derek Sanderson to Jim Devolano who have come over. And once again, you know, they may not be Toronto Maple Leaf related, but they will tell something that sort of pertains to the moment in time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, either playing against them or going up watching them and then moving on. But – they themselves. I like to think that all the players of visits, the same thing. These guys were all kids once themselves. So they all have stories growing up, and they all were pretending to be somebody when they were playing road hockey or whatever they were doing at the moment in time. So this is the takeaway that I think I'm most proud of if I can share with people. As I, like to, as I mentioned before the break, that I've, I consider myself a preserver of history, and all I'm doing is I just seem to be the gatekeeper to some of these pieces, and we're passing it on to the people in the sports world, particularly hockey and particularly Maple Leaf fans, and what they want to do is what they take away from it. Mike, do you remember your first game and who played in it? Yeah, I played, well, it was against Chicago, and they won 6-2, Toronto. And I, I was also, and then the same night, my dad also told another story, and he told the Sid Smith story about that I was also, when, he was, when the guys around me were all laughing at me uh, because I didn't know that story, he said, you know, you're ultimately a fan. We were at the game when Frank scored his 48th goal, and when everybody jumped up after Frank scored, I looked down, and there was your ultimately fan sound asleep. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, what I, I think, the, 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 I mean, there's, there's a, uh, it's a remarkable collection. Um, but the item that seems to draw, and correct me if I'm wrong, the item that seems to draw the most attention 
is the door. Well, and there you go. Tell, tell us a little bit about the door. 1931, right? 1931. Okay. So, so you have the you have the original the door. door to the Leafs dressing room. Yeah. Okay. Tell us tell us a little bit about this door. Okay. So when um, you know back when the gardens was breaking up and moving on, I guess it was a bit of a free for all, and things were being just you know taken as you know what happened with the uh, gondola and other things. And I've got a great story for you on the banners also, which is even a better story. But the door was just taken, and I. I of course, I'm no one in the industry as a, as a buyer of Maple Leaf memorabilia, so one of the guys I deal with came across it. And what happened, I guess, a worker took it home, realized it didn't fit the doors at home. His wife probably looked at it and said, get that out of here, and ended up with me. So I sat on it for a number of years before, and I knew one day I would build a frame to have that fit. And here it was, it was just another piece at the time to me. But I knew it was significant because, you know, when I was a kid and got my first tour of the gardens, I went through that door, and I used to stand outside that door waiting for the Maple Leafs to come on in because, as you recall, back in those days, both teams dressed in the same side of the rink and came out on opposite sides of the hallway. And I used to stand and watch, wait for the players to come out. So there was some significance to me, for, for me, with that piece. But over time, any players ever come and visited, immediately I have them sign the door, and they, go, they are drawn right to the door. And every player can, again, recall their first time going through it, coming out as wearing a maple leaf crest or even just standing outside watching it as a fan themselves. But what's happened since, it's almost become the centerpiece of the collection because we were featured in Luminato this year. The exhibit was one of the 50 treasures of Toronto. Uh, it's on the cover of our book. And as I said, we have close to 60 Toronto maple leaves have signed that door now. And I hope to have it over 100 before the end of the year. Yeah, the only signature I don't like Lou Franceschetti. <laughs> <laughs> I, know he's, I know he's a regular on his show as a co-host. Lou, so if you're listening, there's a shot at Lou. No, it's just a little shot, buddy. You, we're buddies. Don't you know? I had to. I had to take that shot, but uh, God bless him. Lou, and you Lou. know, and what what that has done is that just leads to other pieces because right away the stories just start flowing from the players. I had Kevin McGuire visiting one time, and I also have the stick rack from the Toronto Maple Leafs that was. It with they got the gardens for the last game. And he was padding and he said, boy, oh boy, I'm like, this sure brings back lots of memories. I said, oh what, from having your stick, <laughs> stick in the rack? And he said, no, from, I was leaning on it an awful lot, lot watching lot. games, uh, dressed in civvies. Then I guess some guys have some comments about the player benches, the guys, maybe some guys who didn't play all that often got a few slivers, so maybe they remember the benches a little bit too. Oh, of course. You, do you have the, you have the old uh, player's bench? I don't have the player's bench. Okay. I have a bench from the dressing room. The Bench from the dressing room, sorry. I have yeah. one of those. But the, uh, one of the most key pieces that are one of the biggest pieces I've acquired just recently is the uh, banner. Stanley gonna, Cup uh, banner. This, this 62 banner uh, has got a story behind it. Big story. And we're going we're gonna to go to that story as soon as we come back from the break. We're Perfect. talking to Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson, the ultimate Leafs fan, has the greatest collection of Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia in the world. I know you're a humble man, but that is in fact, that's a fact. I'm going to state it on your behalf. And we're going to talk about the 1962 Stanley Cup banner as soon as we come back from the break. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. CBLTickets.com is how you get your family up close and in the action. 
Canada is the new home for up-and-coming basketball talent. Good players, great basketball, international rules. Watch the Canadian Basketball League and make an exciting sports night for the whole family that won't break the bank. Go to cbltickets.com and purchase tickets starting as low as $15.50. cbltickets.com. Give the gift of basketball. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village and uh, just before the break we were talking to Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson, the ultimate Leafs fan, an incredible collection, museum quality. Uh, of Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia. And before we went to break, uh, we brought up the topic of the 1962 banner. And that's something, If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, that's just recently yes. come into your collection. And it's got an interesting story. This is the official Stanley Cup banner from the 1962 Toronto Maple Leaf team that won the Stanley Cup that year that's got an interesting history. Tell us all about the 62 banner. Well, there's always been this uh, mystique or, uh, you know, um, intrigue that the, the banners have disappeared and were used as paint tarps and all this. And that, that is part and parcel true. Uh, what, what happened was I was, because of, I'm getting a little bit of attention th- these past number of years, I get requests all the time or emails on a fairly regular basis, offer me items and try and ask me questions or ask, ask advice. And I received an email Oh, about a year and a half ago from a chap out of Stratford by the name of Wayne Parsons. And he said that, you know, I had a little bit of indignant, indignant, you know, way about me calling myself the Ultimate Leafs fan when he was quite a fan. And when I explained the story, we kind of hit it off. And then he said he had some items I might be interested in. And he mentioned his banner. Well, I immediately thought it was one of the banners that Cliff Fletcher had put up back in the mid-90s when he was trying to bring back some of the history of the Leafs. And he informed me it wasn't. So I said, well, then we had a chat on the phone and we had this, he gave me the whole story. His father used to be the upholsterer from Maple Leaf Gardens and he worked there for 42 years. So one of his visits, and the story goes on, but I'll shorten it up a little bit. One summer day when he was coming into work, the guys were doing the usual renovations around the gardens or the cleanup throughout the summer and doing the painting and so on. And he went by one section and there was the guys working and painting and on the ground were a bunch of tarps. But he took a closer look and there were the banners. And the workers had just gone into his third floor shop and taken these things and thrown them on the floor and covered the seats and, the, and they were all ruined. So he was quite upset, went back to his shop, and the 62 banner was still sitting there. 
Now, he didn't know it was a 62 banner at the time. He just picked the banner up and threw it in a closet and put it away. And he phoned Wayne and he said, what should I do with this? And he said, well, keep it, Dad. That's very significant. So anyway, he kept it for a few years. And uh, Harold Ballard wandered by the shop one day and he mentioned that he had this banner still. And he, over the years, acquired a number of things from the gardens. But he always asked Mr. Ballard's permission to take it home before he did. And Ballard usually did. And he said, yeah, sure, take it. I don't want it. He said it probably a little more colorful than that. But, uh, you know, off you went. So he took it home. He gave it to his son. And Wayne put it away in a storage locker and kept it there for years and years. He told a story over the years to friends of his. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was a tournament in Stratford. For, he's a doctor and is in the medical profession. And so it was a medical-related. And they were bringing in some NHL trophies. And one of his buddies said, maybe you should put the banner out. He said, do you think people want to see that? Sure enough, he hung the banner and was the head of the whole tournament. So then he thought he should do something with it. So upon some investigation, he spoke to the Leafs, the Hockey Hall of Fame. He looked at eBay, some auctions, and he knew of me. So he contacted me, and through about a year of going back and forth, we met about a couple months ago, and we came to an agreement. And I think the thing about it is that I'm, I'm most proud of is the fact that he chose me to put it in our collection because of the fact because. The, the aspect of preservation. And I, you know, as I said to Wayne, this isn't about me. This is about preserving the legacy of your father and the banner. All I'm doing is I'm, just, I'm holding it and displaying it and passing the story forward to the next generation of fans. And the mystique of the whole piece is, if you think about it, 1962, now there was you know, the 11 or 13 banners they had hanging in the, in the rafters because they had something else. But think about this. The Leafs won the Stanley Cup in 1951. Bill Broco scored the goal died tragically in the summer. They didn't win again until 1962, and then Bill Barocco's body was, was found. found. So there's the mystery of Bill Barocco. The ghost is still overhanging. <laughs> Here's the 62 banner. Why, of all the banners, is that the only one that survived? Mike, um, the current pl- current players of the Leafs, mm-hmm. uh, they should be going through your place, you know, because they're going, getting the tradition. Because I think the Leafs are trying to do this. They're trying to bring... The guys into well, um, it's funny you mention it. As I, I hosted an event about oh, a year and a half ago, Deb and I for um, mental illness and depression with Mike Babcock and Michael Landsberg, and Larry Tannenbaum was in attendance. And I spoke both to Larry and to Mike Babcock, and I suggested that. And Mike Babcock is all for that. And actually, I'm going to present that to them to have a day where the players would come over walk through some of the history, maybe look at some film, which is Paul Pascal, who did the book with me, is the, you think I'm the ultimate Leafs fan, he's the ultimate <laughs> film archivist probably in the world for hockey history. And we would show something and just connect the players with what they're actually representing once again. And you know, Lula Morello is all about the front of the jersey, not the back. And I think that it would be, very, and Mike Babcock is very, very interested in doing this. So we'd like to follow through with that in That's a year. That's great. Just follow up on that and uh, bringing the new Leaf uh, players in to see it. Uh, but talk to me about when Wayne Gretzky went through. The greatest, well, one one A and one B with Bobby Orr is the greatest hockey player that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And there's a story when you brought him in to see your collection. And tell us a little bit about his reaction to it. Well, first off, the, the other thing that we're very proud of with our family is that we do a lot of charity work. This yeah. has enabled us to open up into the fundraising world. And we, we're very, very proud of the fact that we're able to share this 
to help charities. And one of the foundations we help is Bullying with Brian Burke. And one of our guests at that, that night was Brendan Shanahan's very supportive of us. And Wayne Gretzky donated his time and came to help support. So when he came for the tour, we met a few times before. And he knew I had a big collection, but he had, didn't know anything about what, what he was going to see walking down the basement. So anyway, when he walked down the 14 steps, he was just like a kid again. And he walked around the room. He was pointing at it. And this is why he's the greatest. I mean, his passion, it was just like like nothing I'd ever seen. But I wasn't surprised because the little I know of him and you know what his passion for hockey is. He was pointing at pictures on the wall, asking questions. And I know the one thing is that he's very, very modest about talking about himself. And I, when I met him before, I showed him a few things. And he didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to talk about Notre Dame football. He wanted to talk about where we lived in Toronto. He wanted to live on that street. And he talked about the Leafs. So we went by. I have a case dedicated to him just for that because of what he represents. And I have his contract from the Dottie West show when he was on there and also a Saturday Night Live contract. So he was walking by and I was trying to scurry him by the case to move on so he wouldn't have to talk about himself. And he kind of made a comment about, oh, I remember that show, the Dottie West. I said, well, there's your contract. And he goes, where the heck did you get that? And so if you like that one, you're going to love this one. Here's your Saturday Night Live contract. And he screamed, where the, did you get that? And then he just started pointing at things again and telling stories. So that definitely was a highlight. But the capper was is that a friend of mine, Rick Tockett, who's coach of Pittsburgh last summer, and he was home with the Stanley Cup, he mentioned, Wills, I keep getting Gretzky. Every time I see him, he says, have you been to your buddy Wills' place to see the room? And he says, I haven't had a chance. So anyways, I have to come tomorrow and see it. So anyway, he brought his son over the next day, and my son Ryan and I sat, and we had a nice visit with him before they drove back to Pittsburgh. And he was on his phone, and he said, I'm just texting Gretz now to say I'm looking at his case of his stuff. Within 20 minutes, Wayne Gretzky called him and started talking about the room. That's Wayne Gretzky. Uh, talking to Mike Wilson, uh, the Ultimate Lease fan. Mike, we've only got two minutes left, mm. and I want to uh, wrap this up with this, which is the whole reason for all of this, which is the passion for the Toronto Maple Leafs amongst uh, so many people in this country. And you've made the comment that the and we've and Naz and I have said this a zillion times. The Toronto Maple Leafs are one of the most iconic sports franchises, not only in Canada but in the world. And you call it the most storied hockey franchise in Canada. Pretty pretty strong words considering the Montreal Canadiens exist. Why are the Toronto Maple Leafs the most storied franchise in Canada? Well, because of Foster Hewitt, first and foremost, because that's people growing up, that's what they related to. 1933, the first broadcast, it went across the country, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are, are, are first and foremost in everybody's mind. I mean, you yourself, when you go and travel, you, you have a place in Florida. If you go to Florida and you meet somebody, and they tell you where you tell them, they ask you where you're from, and you tell them Toronto, what's the first thing they're going to say to you? Oh, the Leafs are doing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, not the Blue Jays are good or the Raptors are good, but the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, they're an iconic franchise. They're in the same frame mind as, you know, New York Yankees, Martin. Manchester United and so on. Not to take away from what the Montreal Canadiens have accomplished with their 24 championships. Yes, that's an iconic franchise also, but it's in a different light. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, the Florida Marlins have won two, Stanley, two World Series in the, in the last 100 years. Well, guess what? The Cubs have won one. Does that make the Marlins more, you know, more historic than the Cubs? So, 
you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs just had that way about them. And they're not like the Cubs, where they're lovable losers. There is true passion for the Toronto Maple Leafs because generation upon generation has grown up with the Toronto Maple Leafs and it's been passed on through the ages. Mike, yes. the ultimate Leaf fan, what do you think of the club right now? The club's in the right direction. I mean, we had the John, poor guy from uh, Buffalo on earlier. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, is you know, that my, my one comment with the Bills is the fact that the Pakulas, while they're, they're passionate about their team, the problem is they have to separate themselves from being fans to being owners. And the Toronto Maple Leafs have been able to do that, and they've put the right pieces in place as far as management goes, and they're letting the guys do their jobs. We've been talking to Mike Wilson, the ultimate Leafs fan. Uh, he's got a book out with Lance Hornsby and Paul Patsku. It's called Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs Fan. It is, in my estimation, a fabulous book. Thank you, Walter. I just, just the, the quality of the illustrations, the quality of the stories, uh, phenomenal work. It's, uh, and, and hopefully Naz and I get down to your, uh, to your collection. We'd certainly love to see it. Well, you guys should do a show from the room. We'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can set that up. Okay, Anyways, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun, uh, and uh, hopefully we do it again, as you say, from the room. Anyways, this has been the Naz and Wally Sports Hour for another Sunday morning. We'll be back. Have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9. Go Tide. <laughs> this podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.